Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast, where every Tuesday and Thursday, it's our goal to bring you an apostolic sermon. Indiana Bible College has three major courses of study, biblical studies, worship studies, and our newest major, missiology. For more information about these, visit indianabiblecollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. have a special guest on our podcast. It's always a pleasure when we get to hear our president and pastor, Brother Paul D. Mooney, speak to us. And today we have, with our IBC Connect Chapel, Pastor Mooney preaching a message entitled, Where No Fear Was. Thank you very much. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Wow, feels good in this place. Make a joyful noise. Lift up your voice one more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If God be for you, who? Who can what? Who can be against you? Who can defeat you? The one thing the devil wants to do, the enemy of our soul, the spirits of the Antichrist, is to make you fearful. To make you become so fearful that you get a little crazy up here. Because there's no reason for us to be afraid. Whatever tomorrow holds, whatever challenges are in our lives, there is a God that's bigger than any situation. So whom should we fear? How many know the Holy Ghost made a difference in your life? Amen. It's great to be with you today. We're going to talk along these lines. You may be seated. I want to welcome all of our special guests and friends and uh, pastors and parents that may be here as well. And all of our visitors that have come in to be with us on this uh, special occasion. And uh, it's a joy to have you here. And uh, was with you just a few moments last night, and I heard you had a good time, and we hope that you've uh, felt our hospitality, our love for you, but more uh, importantly, we also hope that you can catch a vision that somehow in these uh, few moments that we're together, that uh, God would speak to you and touch you and help you to understand that he has a destiny for all of us in this room, and I'm not just talking about coming to IBC, I'm just talking about the will of God that unfolds your life. That's bigger than anything. And none of us in this room really know for sure exactly how God will use us or where God will take us, but we do know this, that if we put our trust in Him, He will give us great victory in our life. Can I get a witness on that? So let's turn to the book of First Samuel, and let's take a little peek into part of uh, David's life, the great leader and King David. I'm not going to spend time trying to get uh, you all into the uh, historical setting of this. I just want you to see some principles that are playing out here that I think are crucial in our lives. The enemy is a liar. He, he is given to lies. And the one thing he would like for us to do is to think that Satan would like for you to believe, for me to believe. And this doesn't ever stop. This is a constant battle. It doesn't matter where you are in your Christian life. The enemy wants you to believe that he can create a train wreck, as it were, in your life and destroy God's purposes in your life. But that is not true. Because the one that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And really, the church is undefeatable. It's undefeatable. And uh, the world likes to intimidate you. But you need to, get, you need to get it all figured out that the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. Now, look, look at this little verse here in 1 Samuel chapter number 23, from which I will draw a text. It's 23, 1. 
Then they told David, this is David's army. This is the people that are working with David. They said to David, David, this great leader, David, behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah. Now, Keilah was a, a, an area, a place, and they were uh, being harassed by people that were robbing the threshing floor or robbing the harvest, just like today. The elements, the wickedness, the perversions are robbing your generation. And so this is what was happening here, except it was a physical example. They robbed the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, what, what should we do about this? Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, how many words did the Lord say to David? Could I get a little help from the scholars? How many words? Well, no, just, just was, yeah, eight words. Just eight little, yeah, that was it. Did you count them? I should have counted them. I didn't know exactly how many. He said what? Go and what? Smite the Philistines. And save. Save who? Keilah. Just go and save. Is that eight words? Pretty simple. Just go and do what I've told you to do. Just imagine if we could hear the voice of Jesus today. If we could just, and, and, and I'm not trying to speak for, for Jesus, but I believe if he would speak to us today, he would say, now listen, don't be afraid. You got some bad guys down there robbing the threshing floor. But you go and deal with this. And don't be afraid. I'm with you. And that was David's message. But we have now another little problem. We have a little problem inside the minds and hearts of these people that were following David. And what is that problem? They analyzed themselves and they came up with a, a really bad picture of their situation. The next verse, let's just see what. And David said to his men, behold, and David's men said unto him, what? Behold, pay attention to us. We be afraid here. We're already afraid. We haven't done anything. How much more then will we come, how much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines, how much more will we be afraid what happens when you step out by faith to trust in God? One of the things that you may not understand, if there is fear in you, the fear will pass away because God will walk with you. There's no need for us to be afraid. And the, the fear that they experienced or felt caused them to say, what a very foolish kind of rational thought here. Well, we're already afraid. Think, David, how much more we're going to be afraid. If you drag us into this battle, into this fight, we're already kind of discombobulated. We're fearful. We don't know exactly what to do. Do you know the enemy is a liar? Right here, clearly, something is speaking to the hearts of these men, these soldiers, these trained fighters, shall we say. Something is speaking to them and talking to them and influencing them and causing them to believe that they just might not have what it takes to win the battle. And all of this misunderstanding and all this, all this fear and all this bad idea, bad thinking comes out of fear. Fear. The inability, the kind of fear that makes you unable to move forward. Now suppose that your generation of spirit-filled people, and I'm just going to say, those of you that are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, fear is your enemy. God can call you, but you can be afraid. You, you can be uncertain. You can have that little moment of like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we could imagine. I, I, I'm already got cold feet. How, how worse could this get? 
when we really face the enemy. It's one thing to be in church. Can I get a witness? But it's another thing to go out into the world and start really making a testimony and saying things that are powerful. We stopped at a rummage sale, my wife and I. And one of the funniest women I ever met was waiting for us to get out of the car so she could explain to us what was going on in the community. The story I'm getting ready to tell you will not seem true to you. But in the fear of the Lord, this is what happened. We get out of the car. This is in upper, not upper Michigan, but in, uh, in upper lower peninsula of Michigan, a little town, and there was a big garage sale or open yard sale, and Sister Mooney never has agreed to pass by a yard sale without stopping. Sometimes I, I see it before she does and take another route, <laughs> literally. So we stop. We get out. We walk up to the rummage sale, and there is this woman. She's in a lawn chair. I, I want to be careful here because it's a little hateful. Let's just say she wasn't real attractive. Uh, in, in the worst kind of way. <laughs> I don't want to describe her because you might take it the wrong way, but yet I want to describe her. Let's just... She had, she had problems from the top of her head to the sole of her feet. She was nasty looking. She was just dirty. She was dirty. I mean, physically dirty. And I don't know that I think that dentist forgot to put the teeth back in after he pulled them or whatever it was. I mean, it was just, I, I, I know I got to be careful here, but you got the picture. Could I just leave that? I mean, it was bad. And she said to me, come here. Come over here. And real demanding. So I walk over a little bit and didn't get real close. Because, you know, I had pretty good eyes back in those days and I could see. And she had a tone, you know. And here's what she said. Funniest thing. She said, I want to tell you something before you go up there to that garage sale, whatever it was. I said, well, what do you want to tell me? I'm walking now a little bit closer to her, and she's saying, they hate me in this town. I said, they do? I said, yes, they hate me. They all hate me. You know why they hate me? I said, no, what's wrong? She said, they are fearful. They are scared of me. I said, they're scared of you. Why? She said, well... I, they think I'm trying to steal their husbands. I wanted to say, Sister Rogenbush, I wanted to say, baby, you don't have to worry about that. I promise you the ugliest, this is what I wanted to say, the ugliest man in town, the meanest man in town, probably would not be all that pursuant of your companionship. I didn't say that to her. And she wouldn't stop. She kept saying, you don't believe that. But they don't like me, and they're so frightened that I'm going to steal their husbands. I could steal any man in this community, or something like that, she said. Now, here's the thing. I could not figure out if she was just playing with me in a way or she really meant it. So I, when I finally got uh, uh, broken away from her, I, I asked somebody about her, and they said, oh, she's crazy. I want you to try to understand something here today. The devil knows that he himself is a liar. He operates on lies. He is, uh, he is a liar on purpose. 
Because the enemy of our soul knows that if you can sell a lie to somebody, you can crush a life. You can, you can destroy the opportunities that are available to people if you can just cause them to believe a lie. To believe a lie is to be damned. It's to be trapped. To not have a clear understanding of how things are and how things work. To not to fail to have a clear understanding of something we call possibilities or the power of faith. Faith makes anything possible. All things are possible. How? Through what? To him that believeth. Every person in this room, including yours truly, can be destroyed by fear and unbelief. And the devil wants to come into your life and make you believe that he's the biggest thing in town. The baddest dude around. That he's the one that everybody fears. And he does sell that idea to a lot of people. We see an example of it right here when David is saying, we've got to go down and help these good folks that have been tormented by the enemy. The enemy has come in and literally stolen their threshing floors. Do you realize that this is about the future? How are you going to feed your children? The harvest is coming in, and yet here are people coming down upon you to destroy the very harvest. How are you going to live? How are you going to survive? There's no grain to, to store away in the granary, and how are we going to make it? And the enemy fills the heart's of the only possibility, the only possibility that those good folks could possibly overcome the attack against their future, the attack against their threshing floors. There's only one possibility, and that is if this so-called army that's standing on the edge of this disaster, whose commander is the commander of all commanders, David, who from the time he was a child was a person of faith. And yet David must be very frightened in a way or certainly shocked because here he is saying, we're going to go down and deal with this. And somebody had to come to David and say, David, don't you understand? Don't you get this? We're already afraid. We don't have the courage to go do this. The devil is a liar. Now, I don't know about the future. I don't know everything that we're facing in this world. But I do know that if we will let God touch us, if we will let God speak to us, if we will let God's word somehow get a hold of us to the point, to the degree that we can say, I know that God is for me and God is with me and I know that we face a very complex situation in this world, but our God is greater. That's more than a song. Our God is able. That's more than just a casual idea. He is greater and He is able. And here's something even more better to think about. He will. God will make a way. God will open the doors. God will turn things around. There is no need for us to be afraid. But there they were. There they were in great fear where no fear was justified. Where no fear should have been. Now what about you? What about this generation? What about you? You look at the complex elements of this world, not just you, not just young people, all of us do, and we say, wow, we got an enemy like we've never had before. We have technology that can find its way into the lives of even little children. And therefore, the enemy can bring into the lives of little children, innocent children. They can bring the power and crushing darkness from the pornography world and put children in such fear that they don't know the difference between right and wrong. Are you following the numbers, ladies and gentlemen? Suicide. Do you realize that children by the thousands from coast to coast in America and Europe as well
Little children are committing suicide because they're seeing porno pornography and imagery that makes them fearful of adults. And some children get so locked in that they think all adults are committing these despicable, violent acts that we sometimes call perverted sexuality and homosexuality that include violence and ugly things. I don't want to stay here long. But how can we really address what we're facing if we don't know what we're facing? And that is not a problem. You say, well, that's just a problem out there somewhere. Don't be foolish. Don't be ignorant. These are problems in apostolic churches as well. I've been a pastor a long time. And I'm telling you, the things we're facing today are unlike anything we've ever seen before. There's a darkness that comes against us. But let us not stay here too long. Let us remember something. David heard what he heard. They said what they said. And David cries out to the Lord and he says, we're going to go do this. I just heard from the Lord. And he said, what did he say? Go. He said, go on and get this job done. I'm going to be with you. And through God, all things are possible. The enemy is robbing the threshing floor. The enemy is taking the life out of your generation and my generation. And this is something that is so vital and powerful Something so real and close to us that we have gotten, we've got to awaken ourselves and see that there is a possibility that we could be blocked by fear. Look at Psalms chapter 53 and verse number 5. There they were, Psalms 53, verse number 5. There they were in great fear where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. There they were in great fear where there was no need for fear. Great fear where no fear was. You and I, pastors, churches, colleges, young people, can be trapped by an ugly state of breakdown, emotional breakdown that comes from fear and unbelief, and uncertainty. And there we are, here we are, at the greatest point of, of revolution, at a point at least when we could say that there is this huge shift in the human way, uh, the human civilization, the way we communicate, the way we think, we, the way we educate, the, the power of the, uh, the Internet, which has, has revolutionized a world that has yet been able to settle down or to count the cost or to figure out how this is going to work. Everybody's in an upheaval. Stores are closing all around you. Malls are being shut down. A whole new way of economy is being developed in this country. And then there's all kinds of things in the politics. Let's not even go there. But you have got to face this. And, and Brother Rodenbush and I can go out and have a cup of coffee, and at the end of that coffee, we can, set, we can say, and we can even get, we can even put old Brother Turner on the coffee. We'll take him out for coffee, too. And we all three could come to the same conclusion. Well, it won't be long. We'll be gone. But you're not in the natural form of things. You're not likely to be gone. You're going to have to approach this. There they were in great fear where, what? There was no justification for fear. Now, if I could just, by the help of the Holy Ghost in the few minutes I get to talk to you, if somehow the Holy Spirit would move on us right now and help us to cast away all doubt and fear and unbelief, then we could have a wonderful moment here in this place. It has nothing to do with IBC. It has nothing to do necessarily with your decision about your future life. But it does have something. What I'm trying to say to you does have something to do with the decision that every one of us in this room have to make 
make, and that is, are we going to trust in chariots and horses? Are we going to depend upon the things of this world? Or shall we rise every morning and say, if God be for us, who can be against us? The devil is a liar. He can't take it away from us. He can't alter the course of our destiny. He can't destroy the call of God on our lives. Greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is on the world. That he that is in the world. Can I get a witness? How many believe God can keep you in the storm? How many believe God can help us to win the battle? How many believe we can overcome How many know that God, if he is for us, who can stand against us? Who can overcome? What a mighty God we serve. Do you know his name? Jesus, do you know his name? Do you know that he's the giver of life? Do you know that he's the hope of eternity? Do you know that he can empower you and speak to you and give you a song in your night and a sermon in your difficult moments? What a mighty God we serve. How many want the Word to fall into your life? How many want, not just to say, I've got the Holy Ghost and I go to church, but how many in this room say, I want to serve God. I want to fulfill the call of God on my life. Can't you just see David saying, do you understand? There's mamas and daddies and children not far from where we are right now that are being raided and robbed. See, you should see that. Can't we see that? Can't we see that homes and houses and the minds of little children are being robbed? They're being robbed of futures. They're being robbed of the strength that comes through moral purity. Morality is a big thing. To be able to walk down the aisle with the power of righteousness. To be able to stand at an altar to marry a couple to get married knowing that You're not fornicators, that your love is being bound together in a a sacred kind of relationship. And you could say, I've never touched another one. I've never had relationships with another one. I doubt if very many of us understand how very vital that is. When adultery comes into your life, when fornication comes into your life, something begins to happen. You cannot have a revival with homosexuality. Get it out of your mind. It is not going to work. God is against it. And you don't have to be afraid of all the people that want to indoctrinate your philosophy and twist your mind and make you believe a lie. Somebody's got to get down to the threshing floor. Somebody's got to take a stand. And there's got to be some captains and there's got to be some preachers and pastors that can stand up in a conference and a convention and say, not in this house, not in this generation. There's some folks that need some help. There's some little babies that need to get disconnected from pornography and sin and unrighteousness. There's some folks that need to feel the power of the Holy Ghost one more time. There's somebody that needs a new touch and a fresh anointing. There we were. There we were. There we were in 2018. There we were. There we were, right in the middle of a revolution. There we were, right in the middle of the arrogance of the world and the haughtiness of of false religion. There we were in the breakdown of a great nation founded on the principles of the Word of God, the very Constitution that makes it possible for, to, for us to enjoy personal liberty was established based upon the very words and ideas and propositions of the Bible. And they understood it. The framers of the Constitution knew that they were rewording, as it were, the very ideas of the Bible in establishing a nation like none on the face of this earth ever. And here you are now, young, beautiful. And the devil's going to make you believe if he can. He's kind of like the overgrown woman in the lawn chair, trying to make you believe that if you give him a chance, He can make the whole world love him, but he is not that powerful. Oh, 
taste and see. If I can just get my friend to come to church, if I can just find a church where they believe in holiness and righteousness, where they can taste and see that the Lord is good, that there is a genuineness, there's a realness, there's a auth, there are things that are uh, that are authenticity. Well, how? Give me the word that are authentic. There are real things, authentic things. We're not playing church. You, 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 you don't have to get up and. Just dance because you want to dance like the world or like the nightclub. There's a spirit that will put a dance in your feet. And it's going to look different and feel different. It's going to affect people differently. You don't need to try to sing like people that are commercializing their talents. You can sing by just lifting up the presence of the Lord. And when we begin to exalt Him and lift Him up... Here comes his anointing. Here comes his presence. Here comes the fire. Here comes the light. Here comes the confidence. Here comes the power. Here comes the strength. Here comes the revelation. He touches us. He shapes us. He lives in us. In him we live. Oh, somebody help the preacher now. In him we live and move and have our being. Somebody say yes. Did you introduce me today with the, with the bumper bird thing? Don't do that to me. You just put it in my mind, and I can't get it out of my mind now. So here I have to tell the story. Because it kind of fits now. I would not have done this if it hadn't have been. Who is that guy that did that? Is that the campus pastor? You and I are going to find him somewhere tonight and just whoop him up. I was sitting in the parking lot years and years ago. A thousand years ago. I'm really, I'm a lot older than I look. Close to a thousand. Do you believe that? See, the devil's a liar. I, I'm, not, I'm not the devil, but I just, that's how, he can tell a big lie. You know that? It's like the woman in the wheelchair. Not the wheelchair, but the lawn chair. Every woman, she said, every woman in town believes that she is trying to steal their husband. The ugliest woman I ever saw in my life, maybe. It wasn't true, but she was a big liar, right? All right. Hey, now you're laughing. I don't even know what you're laughing at. But I want to tell you, we're all susceptible to big lies, right? Just the idea that you think you're good looking. See, you can, you can, get, you can get all messed up in that, you know? But I, I, know, I know what people really say about you. He thinks he's good looking, but ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on, come on. Usually when, I, when I, I joke like that, you know I'm getting ready to cut your ever-loving head off. This is a little, little humor before the bloodshed here. So, um, I'll try to make it easy. So, I'm sitting in the parking lot, and here's a little bumper bird story. I'm embarrassed to be telling it over and over. I don't use it much anymore, but who's that guy up there? That, oh, yeah. Is he a pastor, like the campus pastor or something? Okay. We may have to demote him. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, don't. Oh. I love my man. <laughs> Lighten up now. So I was sitting in the parking lot. My wife had running in getting something. And uh, I noticed that there was these uh, little sparrow birds. And they were jumping around from cars to car. And I couldn't see quite, as I remember quite first, I kind of shifted my car a little bit so I could see. And these birds were landing on bumpers. And uh, when they got up uh, in, into the grill and into the bumpers, they were peeling off with their beaks. They were peeling off the butterflies and the bugs off of the bumpers and just having a picnic. And I, I kept watching them. I thought, these bugs are dead. And they're, they're splashed all over the car. And there was one little bird, I remember, that was up on the window trying to peel off a smashed bird, of, or a smashed bug of some kind, a mosquito, something, I don't know, and was trying to pull it off and couldn't get it. And they was banging on the thing. And I thought, these nasty little bumper birds don't realize that with just a little effort, they could be eating live bugs and fresh bugs with juicy guts and everything. But there they were. <laughs> You know, I do have a very strange mind. I'm sorry. It just works this way sometimes. 
And I thought, after I had seen that and kind of thought about it, I thought, there's a rodent bush. Sometimes that's like us. Instead of really being real and getting down and figuring it out and praying and fasting, we just think we can pull all of our sermons off of our bumpers. Yeah, just cut and paste. Thank you for that. Just something that we could, you know, we could paste together. We can go to a conference and we can hear a great sermon and we can, you know, we just kind of work that down. And, and uh, so then when you get to the next youth rally, you think, you, you try to fix it so it sounds real original for you, but most everybody knows you borrowed it from brother so-and-so last week at the camp meeting. So why do you want to do that? You don't want to be a bumper bird. You don't want to face what we're facing without a true anointing and a true life and a true song. You don't, you don't have to. We all use ideas and thoughts. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But there's a way through prayer and supplication that you can be real and feel that anointing inside yourself. And God speaks to you and says, I am with you. Don't be afraid. You go on down. What did he say to David? He said, David, just go. I'm going to be with you. And it's going to come out right. What a great God we serve. He's going to help you to overcome the staggering difficulties of this generation. What seems like a magic moment. Ooh, just think of how much power we have and influence we have in the areas of communication and so forth. But remember that the world is facing now a kind of corruption and complexity that has never been known in the history of human civilization. It's never been possible for one man to speak from a location anywhere on this earth and be heard by every living person. We're almost at the place, we're just way short, just a wee bit short rather, of having Wi-Fi that would be, it would be possible, even though this is a little bit theoretical, but it would be possible for every person on the earth to hear a single voice at one time, in real time. A prediction that was made in the Bible, by the way. Now, ain't that strange? Here we are in great fear. Just let us stay home. Just let us alone. And just let us have some nice play church. And let's just have some fun get-togethers. And I don't believe that's what's happening in this room. And I'm not preaching to you because I'm selling IBC, please. I don't have that kind of feeling at all. But I do have a feeling for you. That there is a generation that's got to be just honest. Honest enough to say, quite frankly, here we are in great fear. And yet David prophesied to these people and lifted him up. Great fear is not justified. Commitment is the key that's going to make a difference in your life. Commitment in spite of what the enemy may be doing. And the enemy can sometimes... Just make something that's unreal feel so real. Like my woman, when I walked up to her, she's just kind of crazy. The devil's just kind of crazy, you know, because he knows that he cannot defeat. Did you know the devil trembles in the presence of the Almighty? I'm not a soldier, but they tell me that there is... A a training that is so carefully designed by armies, not just our armies, but armies all over the world. Some of you know this is true. I, I don't have the quite psychological name of this, but if you properly train a soldier and you take him out to the battlefield, he usually will be very fearful. But once the battle is engaged, his teaching and training comes back to him. And he begins to function from his training almost in an automatic way. He just kind of knows because they've put them through the process so many times that they understand how the battles can be won. I believe that happens to us. It's like going to a city with no church, stepping out on your own. I remember the first day I walked into that little 
chapel in Muskegon, Michigan. Thirteen people were left in that church. It was not a UPC church. They had no fellowship. The UPC churches around that area within about 30 miles never even knew that church existed. That church had become so isolated under the direction of a very elderly lady. She was 90-some years old. Her name was Sister Minnie Fox. She got the Holy Ghost as a result of being witnessed to. She was a white lady. She witnessed to in northern Michigan, a little town called Shelby. And the train got stopped up in that little town, the old train, the old passenger train that went clear up to Mackinac Island. And on that train, for whatever reason, I've never been able to find out what he was doing up there, but he must have been preaching somewhere. He was a man by the name of G.T. Haywood. And he was standing on the corner reading his Bible. And Minnie Fox kept kind of hanging around. And finally he said, can I help you? And you know the rest of the story, obviously. He witnessed to her, caught his train, and left. And she went home, and she started reading Acts 2.38, the most powerful verse in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. There is no way around it. It's the beginning of everything that is possible. To preach it, to believe it, to stand for it in your generation is going to do what it has always done. It's going to bring a revolution that will move all of us and can potentially move the world toward the greatest spiritual experience that is possible between God and man. And that is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's not your intellect that God is trying to get to. His ways are past finding out. You'll never understand the complete mysteries of, shall we say, creation, just as one example. If our man, if that scientist that, uh, I always forget his name, he's in the wheelchair, what's his name? Hawkins. If he is right, He's saying we've got something like maybe a trillion universes to explore. A trillion. And then the other day they said, no, it's more than a trillion. It's many trillions. Well, my goodness, trillions of worlds. I think God, when he created, this is just me. It's the way I feel comfortable saying it. I think God created so many vast universes just to taunt us. And say, look what I did. Now you've got a lot of work to do to get to one trillion universes. Your poor little old spaceships are going to run out of batteries. And that is the same God that's placed His Spirit within your heart. That's the same God that's put a calling on some of you. That's the same God that has brought you to this moment because you're wrestling with maybe what we should do. And you realize you might even have the talent or the ability or the education to do a lot of different things. But what about this calling on your life? And you could say, well, I'm already kind of a little afraid. I don't know exactly what to do. Of course, none of us do. But God is with us. And he will give us something the Bible calls perfect peace. When you fulfill the will of God, you will find perfect peace. The joy of living a dangerous life is unbelievably great. Do not live, don't even attempt to live a comfortable life. Let's live a dangerous life. I know Brother Turner and Brother Rodenbush, two examples. You lived a dangerous life. You said yes, went to Africa, Russia. It wasn't all easy. Violence, tribal wars. But I'd rather live a dangerous life. I'd rather say, let's go on down to the battle and see what the Lord will do for us. Let's set aside every weight and every sin. Let's get in church and let's think for ourselves. Let's stop depending on backslidden charismatics or people that really don't have the truth or the understanding of what we are talking about. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but you need to do your own praying and your own reading and your own intercession. And you don't... Be careful. Don't... Be careful. Don't just attach somebody to your life and call that person a prophet because you end up a little old bumper bird eating dead bugs for the rest of your life. And that's not much fun. I'll tell you what's fun is to get into that prayer room and God speaks to you and touches you when you stand behind a sacred desk and all of a sudden you know that there's something moving in your heart and something that's helping you to speak in a way that you never even could have imagined. And somehow... 
you can see things begin to change and alter in your family and in your life and in your heart. There's where you want to be, but don't try to give this line to people like David. There we were in great fear where no fear was. Moses had to overcome fear. Amos had to overcome fear. Paul had to overcome it. You have to overcome it. If you want to live a dangerous life, I'm on your team. And who knows how dangerous your life can really get. Right on the edge. And it may not always be understood by others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter, my last little thought here. Chapter 10, verse 16. Chapter 10, 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of what? Is it on the screen yet? 10, 16. That sounds like a dangerous life. So Jesus is saying, I'm sending in you to a dangerous life. Sheep among wolves sounds like a dangerous life. Be, therefore, wise as servants, harmless as doves. Just go, and I'll go with you. Dangerous life. Wow. And I tell you this, in the fear of God, if you plan your own life. I suppose I've repeated this thousands of times to students over the past 25 years. If you plan, or your mom, or your daddy plans for you, or your friends, you will underplan your life. Because at this point, not one of us in this room, including yours truly, not one of us really know. I'm awakened in the middle of the night sometimes troubled about something that I feel like the Lord's trying to speak to me. And I'm going, God, I don't want to hear from you today necessarily. I mean, it's kind of like a subconscious thing. Because you may send me out to hang out with wolves. I don't want to be with wolves today. But do you realize that God can take your life? And it doesn't matter what age you are or who you are or where you come from. Or maybe you just got the Holy Ghost a few months ago and here you are at IBC and you don't even understand this apostolic way. You hold on to his unchanging hand. <laughs> well, we're already scared. We're already afraid of the Internet, and we're already afraid of Hollywood, and they're so big and bad, and they're so wise and so funny, and we just don't have it. And Come on, don't be stupid. Stand up for your faith and believe in what God has done in your life. Stand with me. Did I preach too long? I want to give an altar call, but I, I know it's jammed up in here. Let's just pretend for a moment. I know you can't all get up front, but we'll, we'll start by coming up front. Is that all right? You got something else we're going to sing? Or? All right. Let's make some kind of motion here, some kind of commitment here. Let's just say, like, David. Boys, we're going to go down. We got children, widows. We got all kinds of problems in our little village down there. The Philistines are taking hold of the threshing floor. And you've just told me that you're already afraid. And you, when you get down there, you're going to be even more afraid. But let me tell you, that's not the way to face this. Because I just heard a word from the Lord. And you know what he said to me? He said, go. Just go. He'll be there. That call to Africa, that call to Cincinnati or California, I don't know, Chicago, a little village. See, I don't want to be in a little church in, in I, I, I remember, do you remember Brother Brown, Brother Sleva? He didn't really want to go to North Dakota. We kind of pushed him up there, really, we did a little bit. It's kind of, there he is. Was it the Lutherans that decided they didn't want their church anymore? Huh? Yeah, he, they, their building had just, their congregation had just collapsed, right? So did they give it to Brother Brown? But they, they, 
they finally did. And so they just went to the bank. I forgot what the price was, like a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's a multi-million dollar building. One day, no church. The next day, was it Lutherans? I don't know who it was. Methodists. A bunch of Methodist folks said, come on, Pentecostal preacher. We'll co-sign the little mortgage for you. Here's a multi-million church, dollar church, and cafeteria, and kitchens, Sunday school rooms. See, you'll underplan your life. So as we sing, I wonder if there was some in this room that would just come forward and say, I'm going to go into the battle, and God is going to be with me. And I'm not going to underplan my life, and I'm not going to be some stupid little bird trying to squeeze off a dead bug. I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. Thank you for letting me speak to you. Thank you for being here at IBC. so you kind of you don't have to stay way in the back just kind of line up would you lay your hand now on each other's shoulder and let's just say let's be an army let's work together let's go forward nothing is impossible with God I feel the Holy Ghost in this place I'm kind of hanging on because I want somebody to say yes to God now. Everybody, let's sing it under the Lord. Everybody sing. Ah, I'm in the army. I'm in the battle. I'm in the fight. I'm here because I want God's will. Three majors consist of biblical studies, worship studies, and our newest major, missiology or the study of missions. To learn more about these programs, visit IndianaBibleCollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today.